Well, I hope everybody's doing good. Everybody looks great, as always. It's always good to join with the people of God. Uh, how, does the, how does the volume sound on this out there? Sound okay? I can get a little loud, and I just don't want to be too, too obnoxious. There we go. Well, I'm not sure if you've all heard. I think you have because we've all been staying in pretty close communication uh, about Jeremy Roten. He uh, he passed away Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. Uh, went home to be with the Lord. And, uh, you know, it was a triumphant ending. And uh, his life was definitely a life that testified of the power of the gospel. Um, to go out that way, to leave this world that way, and to demonstrate a, a love for Christ in the way that he did, not only in front of me, but in front of his family, was very inspirational. Uh, as a matter of fact, I learned more sitting at his feet in the short period of time of his death than I think I could have ever taught him. Um, so I uh, am deeply grateful for all your help and support. I know a lot of you have jumped on the, the meal train there and help his family out. I know they uh, are putting together, uh, trying to put together a fundraiser uh, for Jeremy's funeral, which I will be preaching. Uh, that'll be next Saturday at one o'clock. I'll get you more information if you decide you want to go um, or if you want to you want to give to that or if you want to click the link for the meal train. I know a lot of us have joined up for that. And listen, I can just tell you that they greatly appreciate it and they greatly, they greatly need it. Um, so... Be in prayer for the Roten family, uh, Jennifer and Jeremiah, you know, and the, the 12-year-old son. That's one of the most impressionable ages at 12. Losing your dad at 12, you know, is, wow, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be rough. Um, but you know what? His dad is a believer. His dad is a lover of Christ. And they say that children who lose parents uh, at a young age that way, um, will go on most of the time um, to have a very positive experience. So we can trust the Lord in all of it. You know, it, it's, it seems a little bit confusing and draining. It's been an extremely, and I certainly don't want to start talking about myself. It's nothing to do with me. But it's been a very tiring, tiring, tiring week um, with a lot of this and just with everything. And so I told my wife yesterday, it's an absolute miracle that I was able to write a sermon in the midst of all the the chaos, you know, so, but God is good and God's in control and we just need to um, take courage, to take heart. And that's really what I want to deal with today. So if you turn your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, I'm just going to read two verses and then uh, as we go through the message, um, I'll unpack it that way. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, is going to be reading 32 and 33 from the King James Version this morning. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning. 
Lord, we would ask that you would uphold us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would grant your weak, weak, beggarly servant the ability to proclaim your word. And Lord, that you would be pleased to open up the hearts of your people to understand what it is that you would want to communicate to us this morning. Lord, that you be glorified today, Lord God, in the singing of your name, the praising of your name, and the preaching of the word. Lord, we are, we are in awe. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. We're in awe by the way that you put up with us, Lord. Your enduring patience with us, Lord. Lord, we're just so grateful for Christ. We're so grateful for the accomplishment that you accomplished through Jeremy's life, Lord. As so many heard the gospel through his life, so many people were inflamed by the power of his preaching, Lord, influenced by the gospel's power. In the church, Lord, we're thankful for his investment in 116 Bible Church, that without him, this wouldn't even be here today. This testifies of the man's love for you, Lord. So Lord, we ask today that you'd be glorified. Be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have trouble, tribulation. But be of, a good, but be of good cheer or take heart. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, life is full of trouble. Life is, as you know, as a believer, is full of trouble. We know that even as unbelievers, right, that life can have its ups and downs. We all have ups and downs, just in a fallen world. But those of us who are Christians, those of us who trust Christ, those of us who are following after him are his disciples. Our lives can be full of trouble. And Christ knew this. And this was the objective of this verse as he was pouring out his heart to his disciples. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Not that you might have trouble, you could have trouble, there's a chance you may have trouble, but he says, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We have to understand that's two parts there. That our trouble is in correlation and parallels with this true reality that Christ has overcome the world. And how do we deal with our trouble? How do we deal with our problems? How do we deal with the invasion of evil? Well, we deal with it the same way in which Christ's disciples dealt with it. And this was Christ's prescription to them. He says, take heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's saying, don't worry. Don't be worried about the pressures of life. Know this at the end of the day. If you die, if you lose your life, if your reputation is ruined, you go bankrupt or whatever may happen to you, just understand one thing, that I have already overcome the world. The tension between experiencing the trouble and taking heart 
is where our focus will be this morning. The tension between experiencing the trouble and taking heart will be our focus. Let's look at number, let's look at the first point here, experiencing trouble. Experiencing trouble. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things so that, he says, in me, not anywhere else, he's given you right there the remedy, the safe place. He's given you the objective. He's given you the foundation of where your peace is, where your strength is. He says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. These things that he's, to- that he's speaking about were spoken about in the previous two chapters, promising them divine aid and directing them in the path of duty. In other words, if you read 14 and 15, which we're all very familiar with, and if you're not, I would encourage you to read these two chapters. They are probably the two most beautiful chapters you'll ever read when it comes to the reality of Christ and the Father and Him being one and sending the Holy Spirit to us and that we are one in Christ through the Holy Spirit and this reality that Christ had to leave in order that we could receive the Holy Spirit of the living God. And this is the, this is these, these whole two chapters are really the context, really are the foundation of what he's saying. He's saying these two things that I've, uh, these things I've, I've spoken to you so that, so you will have peace. I've just explained to you in context why I'm leaving. But I've also explained to you in context the reality of what happens after I leave. You're going to be empowered. I'm going to be with you consistently and constantly until the end of the age. I'm going to be with you to empower you, to comfort you, to give you the knowledge that you need. This reality, I will be a living reality in your life. This is expedient. It's expedient that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter's not going to come. But I'm going to send him to you. And this is the comforting reality that he's talking about in context with trouble. Who wants trouble without Christ? Can you imagine that? A life without Christ? I I could care less about being wealthy, being famous. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You may have all the power in the world. You may have all the money in the world. You may have everything that this world can dish out. But at the end of the day, if you split hell wide open, what does it matter? Because the truth is, is that we're to love Christ. And trouble is always paralleled with our relationship to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in John 16, 1, I have told you these things so that you will not stumble or be caught off guard or, as another translation says, fall away or apostatize. The KJV says that you should not be offended. This is how important this reality is, understanding what Jesus meant, that in him you'll have the stability You'll have true biblical peace, a true biblical foundation that will carry you through the most awful times, the most troubling times. And this is the point that Christ is telling them, that they wouldn't stumble, that they wouldn't be caught off guard, that you wouldn't be offended. 
Because you would understand these things in context, in light of what? Of being a disciple. And really, ultimately, at the end of the day, these guys were being geared to take the gospel through a fallen nation, a very perilous nation, a very perverted nation, a very wicked nation. And Christ was setting them up to be, in biblical terms, successful. But I believe that trouble, the trouble that Jesus is referring to, happens to us in a couple of ways. It happens to us in a couple of ways. And one of those ways we see in John 15, 5, which is through pruning. Through pruning. Some of the trouble that we come in contact with really is the pruning power of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without Christ, you can absolutely do nothing. And then in John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch, listen now, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Pruning feel good? No. You know, why do you, why do you, you know, how come, you know, you see, I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm not one of those people that knows how to like prune plants and all that stuff. I'm not in any of that stuff. But we do know that, you know, pruning, if any of you are familiar, which probably some of you are, um, it means to cut off or remove dead parts. But you know, you're not just removing dead parts, just to remove dead parts. First of all, the dead parts suck the life out of the good parts. But the reality is, this is the main part that you're focused on. You remove the dead parts from where? The main part of something to improve shape or growth. And Christ would be that main part. We're the branches, right? He is the one that we pull sap from. So that reality is, is that he prunes us so that we would become more fruitful as his life-giving sap enters into our walk. The life of Christ, the Spirit of God. What happens when the Spirit of God comes upon us? Sure, we're empowered to do his work, but what else the Bible says happens to us in Galatians 6? That we bear fruit, right? Of the Holy Spirit. That fruit is manifested in our lives that what? Bear witness and testify to what reality that we're of God, we're of Christ. Jesus said, how will you know them? You will know them by their fruit. And the second way trouble comes to us is persecution. We have pruning in our lives, which God deals with us individuals as individuals and begins to cut and shape and mold and twist and pull and hammer. You name it. God will do whatever it takes. He doesn't really care about our comfort in that point. He really cares about our holiness, really really driving us to become holy and godly people. Not for our sakes, not so we can go brag to our brother of how much we've been through, but so we can be more utilized for the glory of God and his work upon this earth before he brings us home. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Remember that, you know, 
Not those who live ungodly in Christ will suffer persecution, but it's those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. The godly life, let me just say this, the godly life will cause persecution to come into your life. Just living godly. You don't have to just go out and, and just preach the word and be vocal, which is always helpful, obviously. It's a main feature of the Christian faith, don't get me wrong. But when you live godly, you're going to be a contradiction to the world system. You are going to stick out like a sore thumb. You don't, even, you don't have to try to. You don't have to tell people all these things that, that you are. When someone lives godly for Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution in one form or the other. You might not be strung up by your toes over an open flame, but there's other things that can happen. You can be spoken, you can be slandered, you can be, um, you can be put through all kinds of different uh, torments. You may not stand up to something. Something may be pushed on you. You say, no, I'm not going to do that. Why aren't you going to do that? Because my ultimate standard is the word of God. And th this is what I'm standing on. And I'm not going to do that. And, I, and I'm going to stand up against tyrants. I'm not just going to sit back and be pushed around and bullied around uh, by the vile and the wicked of this world. Now, in one sense, absolutely, we're to lay our lives down. Uh, we're, we're, we're definitely to take the humble path. If that means dying for the gospel's sake, you die for the gospel's sake. But the point is here is that there are going to be things in the sense to where, you know, it comes along the line of persecution. But everything we've got to get out of our minds, just because this is persecution, doesn't always mean you're going to be beheaded. It can come in all different forms, in all different shapes. And a lot of those pressures come upon us and push us, especially in our day. Especially in our day when this nation is in transition. And I think for a pastor to skip over you know, we're not just supposed to, supposed to focus on all just the, the current issues of the day and everything that's relevant of the day, but there's a lot going on in our world today. And just to pretend like nothing's going on because you want to hear my beautiful exposition can almost be sinful. There's a world out there that, that is, is, is going to hell in a handbasket right now, and we need to understand how on earth do we deal with this stuff? How do we focus on... The Christian life in troubling times. Because what we see today is that we don't see a confrontation, but we see a participation in those things that we're called to confront. People are participating in it. They're accommodating it. They're going the, 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 the path of least resistance. They don't want any problems. So they just go right along with the flow of things because they don't want to either lose their reputation, maybe they're making a lot of money doing something, and, you know, the cost of following Christ isn't high enough for them. And, and, and we really have to re-examine ourselves and see where we stand today when a lot of things are being pushed upon us and trying to be pushed down our throat. We have to take a stand as well, and we have to say no. Because our ultimate standard tells us how to behave in those situations. In John 16, 2, Jesus said that they will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, he says, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Think about that. It doesn't matter what your eschatology is either on that. 
The point is, people are born in sin and people are evil. And as long as we live, we're going to be confronted by evil. This Paul himself found out in Acts 23 when he said that more than 40 Jews bound themselves under a curse that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed him. Think about that. How holy is that, right? See, they're thinking they're doing God a service. We're not going to, you know, we're bound, we're bound to this. We'll even put ourselves under a curse and we won't eat or drink until Paul is dead. Paul himself at one point thought this way as well when he persecuted the church, thought he was doing God a favor. In Acts 14.21, we see, a, we see a, a move of God as well. We see a, the a disciples strengthened and, and, and as, they, as they preached Christ. It says in Acts 14.21 and 22, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many troubles, the same troubles that Christ is referring to, to enter in to the kingdom of God. This isn't a legalistic term, by the way. This is just a reality of the living faith of being a believer. It's not just the pruning and the painful cutting away of things in your life that you love that God hates, but it's also a world system that hates your guts. In being able to know how to handle this trouble, not in the flesh, but under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is clear. In John 16, 3, Jesus said, And these things will they do unto you. Why? Why are they doing these things? Because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus told his disciples, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. He didn't say lambs among Jews. Lambs among Gentiles. He's talking about the sinful nature of humanity that wants to kill you. Just for who you are. The enmity between the seed and between the serpent. It's there. And it's constant. And it's going to be there right up until you go home or Christ returns. It's that simple. Jesus said in John 15, 18, he says, if the world hates you, Understand this, that it hated me first. He's basically letting you know, listen, if the world hates you, understand this, that it hated me first. And this is why it hates you, because it hates me. This is why he says, don't get offended. Don't fall away. Understand this reality. They hate you because of me. But that's a good thing. You want to be hated for Christ's sake. That's a good thing. You don't be hated just because you're a jerk. But you want to be hated for the right reasons. And that right reason is because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're a true follower of the Lord. In John 15, 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, I think if we can just get to this place in our Christianity, I think a lot of the other problems will be solved as well. I think this doctrine is hidden. It's like the lost Ark of the Covenant uh, in most of the churches in, in, in America. 
You know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hear this reality uh, that the world hates us. We want to think that everybody should love us. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? Who doesn't want to be loved? Look at all these wonderful social media platforms where you get your chance to be a star. You get your little platform. You get your little circle of electronic friends that all agree with you and like you, share you, love you, look at you constantly. It's a fetish, right? Because we keep going back. Who liked this? Who liked that? We're all guilty of it. But this is really the whole idea here. That Jesus is woe to you when people applaud you and love you. Now, there's nothing wrong with people loving you. Don't go out and say, well, you know what? My parents love me. They're unbelievers. This is awful. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine that people love you. That's not the point here. The reality is, is that when your, your walk is aligned with Christ, the, 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 the world will not love you. And this was exactly what Paul said when he said, I am crucified to the world, to the addictive nature of a world that wants all of your attention, wants all of your passion, wants all of your affection. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world, but he had to make it very clear. So I'm not just crucified to the world. But just remember, the world's crucified to me. This very point that Jesus is saying, the world hates me too. Paul said, the world hates me too. They're dead to me as well. They hate me. Why? Because I'm a lover of Christ. I'm crucified to it. And they hate that. And they hate me. They want nothing to do. They would rather I join them and have affections for them and enjoy what the world thinks of me, but I don't. Because I'm crucified to the world. And because of that, the world itself is crucified unto me. Yay. These things Jesus said, I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the world you shall have tribulation, or as most of the very best manuscripts read, it reads this way. The tribulation is at hand. And ye are just about ready to be plunged into it. You are just about ready to be plunged into tribulation. This is really what he's saying. He's like, listen, you heard what I said to you, that you will be empowered by the Spirit of God. You'll be empowered by me. I will send the Spirit of God. I will be with you unto the end of the age, but just get ready to be, you're just about ready. And church, and I, and I, this isn't all about my eschatology or anything, but I'm saying to you today, it very well could be that we're very, on the very precipice, very edge of being plunged in one of the greatest tribulations we've ever, we've ever witnessed in our lifetime. You say, what are you saying? The end of time, the end of the world. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about trouble. We're going to be entering in, we are entering in to some of the most troubled, troubled times that we've ever witnessed as the church. Do you think just because we're Americans, we're going to escape it all, we're going to get away from it and everything's going to be fine and we just go on as business as usual and, and just hunky-dory and just go on and be kind of like the world, kind of like the church? doesn't really matter. No, your, your faith is going to be tested. Your faith will be tested. It will be tried. I remember Richard Wormbrand had said that when he was thrown into the underground prison in Romania, I believe for 17 years, he said the pastors that died the quickest and didn't make it were those who were not accustomed to doing the things that Christians normally do 
as exercises, as in um, fasting and prayer and all these things. Because when he got thrown in there, he said, my life really didn't change much other than the beatings. But those that were cushioned and babied and spoiled were the first to die. They couldn't handle the transition. When they were plunged into trouble, trouble swallowed them because they weren't ready. They were too soft. They were too soft. They were too babied. And I'm telling you, we're going to be tried. We are going to be tried. And I don't know how the Lord's going to accomplish this task, but we're being tried right now in a lot of different ways. And it's so extremely important now that we fight back. Otherwise, everything that we stand for is going to be taken from us. Jesus said in John 16, 4, with these things that I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. These things, he says, which are about to happen, he had foretold them what would have taken place. He's definitely preparing them for the greatest mission of their lives. But then in John 16, 12, says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. They have not been empowered by the Spirit of God and not upheld by God's power to be able to bear such heaviness and such trouble. Jesus was still with them. He hadn't left yet. But it was imperative that he left so they could be empowered and then they would be able to bear it. Dr. J.B. Lightfoot, a theologian, preacher, and well-known commentator, supposes that the things which the apostles could not bear now were these such things. He says one of them was the institution of the Christian Sabbath and the abolition of the Jewish Sabbath. The rejection of the whole Jewish nation at the very time which they expected to be set up and established forever. In other words, they were looking for the kingdom to begin, and what they got was just the opposite. And number three, the entire change of the whole Mosaic dispensation and the bringing of the Gentiles into the church of God. Okay, we look at this and go, oh, big deal. And we read about this all the time. Uh, but to them, to them, this was catastrophic. Okay, this, this was, um, I don't have the ability to process this. My mind's unable. I can't wrap my mind around this. What are you talking about? This was very shocking and traumatic and troubling to them to such an extent that at this point, they're unbearable. Unbearable, that this, their whole world is going to be changed. Whatever the case may be, their entire lives and nation were in transition. Whatever it was, everything was in transition. Whatever's going on today, let me just tell you this much today. How does this speak to us today? Our nation is in a major transition. And are you ready for this? Are you able to bear it? Be honest with yourself. Because it's going to be proven sooner or later. We can all call ourselves the army of the Lord and scream and shout during worship. But there's going to come a time where that's going to be tested, the reality of that. Remember, the disciples had their fair share of troubles. At one point, they were, they were beaten and they were strictly commanded not to teach in Christ's name. 
They said, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and they plotted to kill them. Then in Acts 5.40, it says that they were, command, they were beaten and commanded that should not speak in the name of Jesus. And after they had beat them, they let him go. And as they were departing from the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. They're rejoicing. Just getting hammered, just getting beat up and plowed over. And then as they're leaving, they're, they're rejoicing and celebrating in this reality that they were worthy to suffer for the shame of his name. Amazing. And what did they do after they got beaten? They just go out and celebrate. They went back and started preaching again. And daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's something about the element of being absorbed into that lifestyle to where it almost becomes all intoxicating. You know, I mean, if you're living like the world, right, and then you're, you're, you're suffering, it just hurts worse. But when you're in the midst of God's will and you're preaching his word or you're, you're suffering or whatever, it all is in context with a heart that's on fire for Christ. It all makes sense. And it doesn't hurt. I mean, it hurts, but it hurts in a different way because it's all together in a blender of life that serves Christ. It's just different. It's a, diff it's a different reality. It's a Christian reality. So much so that you get beat to a pulp. All you can do is stand up and go right back to preaching again with no fear. It sounds insane. But it's not. It's completely sober. Amazing. Then in Acts 17, 5, it says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took up some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, and set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But they did not, they, but they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and these all are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is no king but Christ. Let that simmer for a while. Let that soak in. Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. If they hated him, he says, they're going to hate you. But Jesus said in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit of God has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, martyrs in the original language, to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
In Peter, 1 Peter 4.14 he says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 1 Peter 4.16 says, But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear that name. How are we to overcome these troubles and persecutions and trials? Well, Jesus said here, we're to take heart. The second final point. So we are to take heart. Be of good cheer. How are we to take heart? Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, listen, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Something going on inside that Christ is talking about. Something that's put within us by the power of God that gives us endurance through some of the most terrible times. And that is the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus means by taking heart. John 14, 19 says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Your hearts are filled with sorrow because I have told, I have told you these things, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives, and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. These are exact words from our Savior's mouth to you, to his people, but to us through his word. Do not be afraid. The world is trying to scare you with everything it's putting out there. There's not a news channel out there that's not designed to scare the daylights out of you. Socialism, communism, these things are brought in by fear through fear-induced people. Fear is their main mechanism, the main feature to scare you into obedience. Don't be scared. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Why? Because he's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. I don't care what these news channels say. I could care less. I don't get my narrative from them. I get my narrative from the Holy Bible. My worldview comes out of here, not from them. Because there's going to come a day and hour they're going to stand before God. And they're going to have to give an account for their lives and all the deception and all the lies Trust me, the day is coming. The hour is coming. How do we overcome this world? Our own nation, the corruption, the lies, the attacks, the pressures, and the bullying of an apostate world by taking heart in Christ. By taking heart. What do you mean, taking heart? Be more specific. Well, Christ was more specific in chapters 14 and 15. This is what he meant. He gives us a new heart. But he's also saying this as well, that the Spirit of God is now going to indwell within us and empower us and enable us and give us the ability to persevere and to continue to obey him 
and continue to do what he's called us to do, not in our own strength, but in the strength of our Savior. We overcome the world through the blood of the Lamb, the cross or crucifixion and death of Jesus, expressed in the word of our testimony. That is, it is done through our trust in Jesus, our Savior, who has not only died to destroy our old man, but was raised by God and lives to justify us as we walk in our new life, bearing fruit that is acceptable to God. That's the Christian life. It isn't just about being saved. It's about the continual believing and saving of God and the manifestation and sanctification of the Christian life. 1 John 5, 4 says, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Jesus said, fear not, I've overcome the world. This is our faith. Our faith is in our Savior. Take heart, be of good cheer. Do not despond on account of what I have said, is what he's saying. The world shall not be able to overcome you. However severely it may try you, it can't win. Do you understand that? If you have taken heart in Christ, the world cannot win. It can't win. It can't beat you. No matter what. Whether you get burned at the stake, whether you get murdered, whatever, it cannot defeat you because you are with Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me as well. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will see me no more. But you, you Christian, will see me. Because I live, you will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I'm in you. Christ in you. Our hope. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's interesting, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Very, very, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. In greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. You got to understand something. The context of that verse is the fact you're going to do greater works is because he's going to leave physically and go to his Father. That every single person who repents of their faith shall be filled with the Spirit of God. The magnitude of the gospel will spread only when Jesus physically leaves the earth and he sends his Holy Spirit into the hearts of his people. And they have to understand this reality. Greater works, larger works will be accomplished when I go away. It's expedient because I'll send the Spirit of God. All those who repent, this is how the Great Commission will be fulfilled without compromise. And I want to finish with this story. Uh, I think I may have told the story before. I don't remember. 
But it's a great encouraging story that I'd like to read to you just to end here, to give you some encouragement. It's a story of Paul Schneider. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. How many of you guys have heard of Paul Schneider? Anybody? Well, let me explain to you who he was and what he did and what had happened to him. It would definitely give you some encouragement, especially in the day that we live. On April 20th, 1938, being Hitler's 49th birthday, to honor him, the prisoners lined up in the death camp called Birchenwald Concentration Camp. The prisoners were ordered to remove their berets and venerate the Nazi swastika flag. As one man, they all in unison took off their hats. But off in the distance, alone, in the midst of many, a solitary figure would not bow to the swastika. His name was Paul Snyder. Paul Snyder's name was changed from Pastor Schneider to Prisoner Schneider due to the fact that his sermons contained references on how the Bible and Nazism were in total disagreement. He was ripped away from his wife and his six children and thrown into a nasty death camp where he, where he would eventually die as a martyr. That day being Hitler's birthday, he would not bow to, the Germany, to Germany's idol. And for this, he was viciously struck 25 times with an oxide whip. His bleeding body was left in solitary confinement for 15 months. By the way, his cell was only four feet wide and 10 feet long. Imagine that. There was no furniture, no lights, and he was only given a small amount of bread and water daily. He was not even allowed his Bible. Before long, he became nothing more than a broken skeleton. His clothes became rags, and his body crawled with vermin. On the morning of Sunday, the 28th of August, 1938, Paul Schneider preached through the bars of his cell to the men who were lined up for the 0630 roll call. Survivors recorded what he had said, and this was a sermon that he preached as he was standing there like a skeleton in rags, peeking through the, 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 the bars of his cells, the people that were standing out there in roll call, he said, Our Lord Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. If we have faith in him, we need not fear what man may do to us. After a few minutes of his preaching, guards rushed into his cell and pulled him away from the bars of the window. For these words, he was once again tied to a rack and suffered another 25 strokes of the whip. A guard said to him, if we release you, what would you do? Paul replied, I would go to the nearest town and the first curbstone would become a pulpit from which I would denounce the brutal crimes committed here. Snyder's response to a friend was, somebody has to preach God's word in this hell. Somebody has got to to preach God's word in this hell. For saying that he was suspended by his wrist from the window bars with his feet off the floor for hours. He continued his brief messages through the cell window. One prisoner recalled Paul Schneider preaching the message of the new life in Christ on Easter day, 1939. Every time he preached from this bunker, his tortures increased, but his faith in the Lord grew stronger. Finally, on the 18th of July, 1939, the starved, beaten, bleeding Paul Snyder died when the camp doctor injected a massive overdose of strophathin, 
which basically is, is poison. Paul was 41 years old. The Apostle Paul declares, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And again, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us as far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which we see, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Embrace this troubling hour that we are entering in. Embrace it. Embrace the trouble. Why and how? By taking heart in Christ. By taking heart in Christ. Preach to yourselves, brothers and sisters. Preach to yourself the gospel. Preach to yourself the gospel. And then get into the fight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all those who have stood the test of time and never back down. We thank you, Lord God, that the gospel will never be defeated. It'll never be stopped. Nor will your people be stopped. For the Bible says that, Jesus, you said you will build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It shall not stop it. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask, Lord God, that you seriously would convict us and set us on fire. That we would embrace this trouble, not in light of the world, but in light of your word. And we would seriously take heart. Why? Because you have overcome the world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.